Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With WWE WrestleMania 38, Night 2, Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened on Night 2, WrestleMania Sunday as WWE concluded its biggest show of the year. This is our second straight instant analysis episode for WrestleMania. Third in the last two days, we have NXT Stand and Deliver Instant Analysis. WrestleMania Night 1 Instant Analysis already in our feed. Make sure you listen to both of those shows on this episode. We are going to cover everything that happened on WrestleMania Night 2. And at the end, we will give our final wrap-up of WrestleMania Night 1 and 2 combined, our post-show grades, and we will break down all of our thoughts coming out of WrestleMania into what's going to happen for WWE in 2022 and 2023 on the lead-up to WrestleMania 39. But it would not be an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast if I did not quickly remind you that this show, every episode... So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love the show, why you listen to the show, why you subscribe. Convince them to do the same. This is our biggest time of the year, and we want getting over to continue growing as it has been for the last two years. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I have had a blast interacting with all of you over the last few days as we live tweeted WrestleMania Night 1, Night 2, NXT Stand and Deliver. We put off pre and post show polls so that you all could vote. And we did three live shows on Twitter spaces over the last two days that many of you participated in. Thank you so much for that. But the way you can get in on the fun, find out when new episodes drop, is by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, this is an instant analysis episode of Getting Over, and these are very special episodes because we don't tape them in the afternoon. We tape them at night, and that means the Silver King gets to crack open a cold one. And tonight, I am drinking a UFO, some type of hazy blonde coffee ale, coffee vanilla beer. I don't know. It's great, and I'm about to have it. Right now, normally Vintage Chris Vanini, who is on the line, driving in his car back from AT&T Stadium in Dallas after seeing night two of WrestleMania. Normally, he'd crack one open with me, but, you know, there's a thing about drinking and driving. No one should ever do it, especially while you're driving. So he won't be doing that. But Chris is on the horn. And before I bring him in, just a reminder, folks, if the audio sounds a little bit different on this episode and the last Instant Analysis episode, we are taping via a different medium. Chris is in the car. He needs to use his mobile device. It is not our normal super crisp audio quality that will be back soon but chris welcome to the show thanks for joining us uh how are you feeling coming out of night two of wrestlemania i am feeling fresh and like i had a really good time i got a 45 minute drive ahead of me here this is now the third time you and i have done instant analysis like this obviously last night and then the previous money in the bank back in the summer so uh uh, yeah, so we've done this a few times, and it, my, my thoughts come out differently while I'm in the process of driving. Uh, but yes, I obviously am not drinking a cold one on the way home, uh, as you should not do that. But I'm excited to talk about this mini, man. It was a lot of fun. 
we'll get into the differences between night one and night two. Is it the best WrestleMania? Probably not, but it was one of the more fun times I think I've ever had. And I am biased because I was there, but coming out of the stadium, I mean, everybody was 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 quite chipper and, and, and joyful with, with the way the two nights went. I do think one fair thing to say before we get into the detailed instant analysis is the first two years of the two night WrestleManias, obviously WrestleMania 36 during the pandemic in the Performance Center, uh, last year, WrestleMania 37, whatever you thought of the show, WrestleMania in totality, the nights felt relatively, relatively equal. I would not say that's the case for WrestleMania 38. Now, we'll get into which night was better and why and what we liked from night one and night two. We'll get into all that later in the show. But Chris, I do think it is relatively fair to say, and I think most people would agree with me when I say this, I'm curious if you do, that just straight up, if you were, if these were separate companies and you were comparing night one to night two, night one was a better show, more entertaining, better matches. Night two had a lot of things that would pop a casual fan, but was not really made for what I would consider to be the exact same audience that night one was made for. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I'm, I've seen people saying, you know, is this kind of a trend that night one is the wrestling show and night two is the sports entertainment show? Uh, you, you may, maybe that maybe that's on purpose, or, or maybe they tried to make night two less heavy because they want the focus on the main event. I, I, I'm not really sure, but yeah, night two, night one, they were very different. Night one, like everybody probably agrees, was, was better. But you know, either way, you know, two four hour shows, you know. It, wasn't it none of it dragged and i I think overall there's still two very good shows yeah two very good shows no question about it but i do think you you're on to something with the thing that you said at the end there which night two wwe wanted the focus to be on roman reigns and brock lesnar and if anyone else was going to get pops it was going to be celebrities and fun stuff and and nostalgia they wanted the focus on roman reigns and brock lesnar night one The focus was on the WWE superstars as a collective. And I think we got an opportunity to see that differential between the two nights. Now, we're going to get into full instant analysis of results with grades from WrestleMania night two in a moment. I just want to set the stage for everyone in case you didn't hear our night one instant analysis, or if you need a quick refresher, I'm just going to go over everything. We will touch on this again later, but in our ultimate preview, which we taped earlier this week, we gave pre-show grades. I was a B. Chris was an A minus and our listening audience, those of you who voted on Twitter, agreed with me, you were at a B. Coming out of night one of the show, all three of us, myself, Chris, and the listeners in a post-show poll, all graded it a flat A. And that just tells you what we thought of night one. We will give our night two grades at the end of the show, and we will give our overall grades for the entirety, both nights of WrestleMania 38. Now, Chris... Finally, with all of that out of the way, it is officially time to get into the WWE WrestleMania 38 Night 2 Instant Analysis, and there is nowhere else we could start than what was billed as the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, Roman Reigns, the Universal Champion, going up against Brock Lesnar, the WWE Champion, in a winner-take-all championship unification match. The video package that they created for Reigns Lesnar was epic. It was definitely one of the best of all time. It it was not Austin Rock My Way. I'm not saying that. But I think they used um, All Nightmare Long. I think it was from Metallica. 
great choice of song. The package was incredible. I wish they showed a little bit more old footage, given the feud has lasted so many years and so many different things have happened. But it was killer work from the WWE production team, as usual. And I also, before we get into the match, I wanted to give a shout out to Paul Heyman, who cut two or three different social media promos. He also did one on the kickoff show that were goat level. I tweeted one of them. It was just expert match building and main event booking uh, from a storytelling perspective from Paul Heyman. I'm assuming you probably didn't see those, but Chris, you did see the video package. And, uh, you know, I assume you agree that it just, it set up the match to make it feel legitimately big. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'd seen it on SmackDown. They showed it yesterday at night one. And look, I, I got, I guess for, I should have said this up top, but my vantage point of night two was very different than night one. Night one, my brother and I sat in the 300 section in one of the corners uh, opposite the stage, and we could see and feel everything. Night two, we spent most of it in the Peacock suite because I'm uh, I'm doing a story in WWE's uh, tryout earlier this week with college athletes. I'm doing a story for the athletic, and they had a lot of their NIL athletes, tryout athletes up in this suite, and so I interviewed them throughout the show for my story. So except for when it came to this last match, they brought us all down to the floor. So we were right down on the floor for the Brock Roman match, actually the end of Austin and then the Brock Roman match uh, to close the show. And yeah, the, the, the video package uh, was loud as hell. It was really cool. And everybody in that stadium was totally amped up and ready for that match uh, before it went on. That's a credit to WWE for building it into a match that we were excited to see, unlike maybe some previous iterations of this matchup. A little more build for this match happened, of course, as it began. And I want to talk about that. And then we will get to the match. Reigns made his really long entrance. He came out first. Other than a shit ton of pyro, there was nothing really extra in terms of theatrics for him or Lesnar. Uh, Reigns grabbed a mic. He demanded WrestleMania acknowledge him. He didn't say Dallas. He said WrestleMania. The Usos uh, came out with him. I never noticed them during the match. I assume they stayed somewhere in the ringside area, but I never saw them. They were never, at least from what I noticed on camera. I, I, I didn't I didn't see them leave, but I don't think they were there. I did not see them at all. So maybe they just ducked out somehow that we, we yeah. just missed. Uh, Michael Cole on commentary made it clear Reigns had not been pinned or submitted since December 2019. That's a great touch. I always love that additional storytelling. He also sold it being the first time in the 38-year history of WrestleMania that there would be a world title unification match. He even noted there's been 55 world championship title matches at WrestleMania. Whether they counted uh, Drew McIntyre Big Show, I don't know. But he said there were 55 of them. And none of them, of course, was a title unification match. There's no doubt that by the time the bell rang, it felt like the main event of an entire two-night show. It felt like WWE built it into the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, even though I think almost all of us would agree it wasn't actually the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, but the spectacle and atmosphere made it feel as if it was. Do you agree with that being there? Yeah. And, and by the time the bell rang, by the time they were there and they had, you know, the announcer said it was the biggest WrestleMania of all time, which is a little bit eye rolling. But like I said, when, when the match was ready to go, there was nobody really in that, stadium thinking oh is this really going to be the greatest match of all no they just wanted to see a great match they wanted to see these two go at it right and yeah it, it was a pretty energetic atmosphere and I, and I think that mindset was really important coming into this match because it was the exact opposite mindset 
that we both experienced, you and I, we weren't there together. But at WrestleMania 34, when that match went on last, Reigns-Lesnar, it was a groan. It was like, oh, here we go. Like the match we have to sit through because we paid for the tickets and we're here, right? And we wanted to see all of WrestleMania, but we really don't want to see this match. I did want to see this match. And I think everyone really wanted to see this match for one reason or another, to see what was going to happen. Are they going to put Reigns over? Is it going to be a great match? Is it going to live up to the billing? Everyone watching had a different reason for really caring about this match. And I think it was pretty much universally felt that everyone cared about the match. That's basically what I'm getting at. So let's get into it right now. Uh, When they were doing the intros, Heyman stole the microphone, did his intro for Reigns. Lesnar then stole the microphone to do his own intro. Both of them did an incredible job. Lesnar immediately removed his gloves. And basically the gimmick was he was going to go bare knuckle. He manhandled Reigns at the bell with shoulder tackles, three overhead belly-to-belly suplexes. Heyman got backed down by Lesnar outside. Reigns got his first offense of the night with a spear through the barricade. Lesnar broke the uh, count, the almost countout at 9.9. Reigns immediately hit him with a spear for a two count. He hit two Superman punches and screamed trash talk. Lesnar laughed and stood up, countering a third Superman into a German suplex. He hit five straight Germans. Reigns slipped out of an F5 and hit a third Superman punch. Lesnar countered a spear into an F5, but Reigns kicked out at 2.8. Reigns raked the eyes to escape a second F5, then speared Lesnar into the referee in the corner. He took advantage with a low blow and a belt shot to the head, but Brock got his arm up at 2.8. It was a false finish. It didn't feel like one to me in the moment. I never believed the match was going to end in that spot. Lesnar was still selling the low blow when Reigns ran the ropes for a weird tackle style spear into Lesnar's back. What was exceptionally strange is we saw the same move twice in one night. Bobby Lashley did it to Omas and Reigns did it to Lesnar. Brock got up again. Reigns hit another spear, but Lesnar caught his arm in a Kimura lock. Reigns screamed and he inched for the rope break. Heyman pushed the rope toward him a little bit. Reigns finally grabbed it. Brock had to release and he was screaming to Heyman uh, that his shoulder was hurt. Uh, He was basically saying it's out. You know, he dislocated it is what he was trying to communicate. Heyman begged him not to give up. Uh, Reigns stood up. Lesnar went for an F5, but Reigns countered it into a spear for the clean one, two, three in 12 minutes. Before celebrating, Reigns kayfabed, pulled his shoulder shoulder back into place. He lifted the WWE title in his right arm all the way up. He struggled to lift the universal title in his left. He was still selling the dislocation and selling the pain. He actually did a really good job at that. Reigns stood on the ramp celebrating with both titles. Lesnar was in the ring looking utterly defeated. Um, Reigns spread them wide on each side of his body. Pyro went off on the stage and off the top of the stadium. And that was it. WrestleMania went off the air. It was a spectacle. Reigns-Lesnar, it was. But it was not a great match. The inherent problem with booking a rematch of a rematch of a rematch of a rematch is we've seen these two guys fight so many times in so many main events that we've already experienced all of the German suplex Superman punch, spear, and F5 kickouts. There's basically nothing new they could have done because you're not going to get a work rate banger out of a Lesnar match like we did last year with Edge and Daniel Bryan with Roman Reigns. But even so, I didn't think the match was booked well. It never hit a crescendo. If you're in a match like this and it's going to be the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, you need to do what WWE did in those John Cena, AJ Styles matches where all of a sudden you think you've seen it already, you know, but Cena's pulling out shit he's never, ever done before. That's what this should have been. Reigns maybe should have debuted a new finisher. 
or some signature moves we've never seen. Things to show that he went above and beyond to ensure that this time he put down Brock Lesnar. Now, credit the crowd. It did seem to pop for each big move, but they basically only did six moves in the entire match. The referee and belt spots I thought were lame and unnecessary. The element that I did appreciate was giving Reigns the dislocated shoulder to make it even more impressive that he overcame an injury and beat Brock Lesnar while he was hurt. But still, I can't say that it was some incredible match when it wasn't. Um, There wasn't even really a good storyline other than Lesnar being tough to put away, which is the storyline in every single Lesnar-Roman Reigns match. And they talked so much about drawing blood. Brock said, I'm going to make you bleed. That never happened. You could argue the spectacle of Reigns standing over Lesnar at Madison Square Garden, bloodied on the steel steps, holding both titles, was a better visual than we got here at the end of WrestleMania. So, you know, I'm not going to be too tough on it. It was a B match, 3.25, 3.5. You know, different people can disagree. Uh, Again, it was mostly for the work and the spectacle and the entertainment. But I did think it was a relatively lackluster coronation for Reigns. The saving grace is that they finally put him over and hopefully ended this feud forever. But if I was to come on here and tell you that I loved this match and it was memorable and I would watch it again, I'd be lying to you because the truth is I don't think I'll ever watch this match again. No, I'm not going to either. And the, the, the mood in the arena was off for, for all, like I said, for all the energy and excitement there was for the match to start. When they were spamming finishers, like right up, by the way, while, while you're looking this, uh, while, while I'm talking, look up the length of the match. I, I'm curious what it was. Sure. Uh, but uh, it's on the Wikipedia page, probably. But yep, it, yep. It, they, they start off by spamming finishers. And honestly, that, that took a lot of the energy out of the crowd because when everything's a false, you know, finisher finish, then none of it is. And so, you know, Roman hit a spear early on. And nobody believed nobody believed that Roman was going to win like that. Like it was within like five minutes, two three minutes of the match when when Brock hit his first F five. Nobody really believed that was it because it, it was so early. And then so suddenly, you, nothing really felt like it mattered. And then the one two three for Roman to win, it was more of a surprise of, oh, that's it. All right. Yeah, it just happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because there was no build up to it, because they immediately tried to start at the top, and because that's all that was left that they could really do. I, I, do you have the length of the match, by the way? So this match, they have it clocked uh, as twelve minutes, which is about yeah. what. what I, and by the way, that's I don't even know why you're asking because I already said it when I was when I was reading the uh, breakdown. But this was twelve oh, okay. minutes. I missed it. Th- this was twelve minutes for context. The WrestleMania 34 match was almost sixteen minutes. And the match that we got at Crown Jewel this year was also 12 minutes. The, the reason I asked is because that show ended about 11 o'clock Central Time, which gave us once again a four-hour show. And so I wondered if they were told, hey, you got 15 minutes, you know, go do whatever. You have less no, than 15 minutes, put, go do whatever. No, they, I, didn't I put, they didn't put a time limit on it. They, no way. Yeah. So, but then the other thing, I, I I saw some stuff on Twitter. I I couldn't tell if any of this is true or not. Did it seem like anybody was hurt? I, I thought I think Meltzer was speculating that Roman was hurt or something like that. Have you seen any of this stuff? Well, I mean, Reigns they, they were selling a separated shoulder, which I did think was strange, especially after AJ Styles I think legitimately separated his shoulder 
um, or sorry, not separated. Let me correct myself here. Dislocated his shoulder in the edge match. Uh, they did the same thing here, but no, I think that was purposeful. I don't think he was actually hurt. Okay. Yeah. I, like I said, I couldn't tell. I didn't have any replays. I haven't seen anything. I just saw a number of people on Twitter talking about it. Honestly, I didn't even notice the, the, the shoulder, whatever in the match, <laughs> just from where, from, from where my vantage point was. So yeah, ultimately it's not a match I'm going to watch again. Honestly, I don't think it, I don't think it makes Roman any more over than he was. This is the dude's sixth WrestleMania main event. He pinned Daniel Bryan and Edge on top of each other last year. That was a bigger moment. That was more of a coronation moment Absolutely. than this was. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was it a dud of a finish? Eh, it was, yeah, kind of. But I'll tell you this. Coming out of the arena, coming out of the stadium, nobody was really, nobody was down on the show. Nobody was down really on the match. It was a complete opposite of that WrestleMania 34 New Orleans from coming out. With, there was such a disdain for that finish. And it tainted the rest well, of the show. That was not the case here. It was just like, all right, we got Roman. He he unified the tiles. Maybe we're done with this. But you know, it was a good show. It was a, I had a good time. That was the mood coming out of the stadium. Yeah, because it, it it didn't it wasn't forced down our throats. That's the difference, right? And even if you didn't like it, you're booing the bad guy. So it comes off as the reaction that you're supposed to have, right? There was no there were no protest chants. I assume I didn't hear them on TV. I assume there were no beach balls or any of that bullshit. At least at least things that were actually distracting during the match. You know, people wanted to see this. That, that's the difference between this and 34. People actively wanted to see them fight here because of the build, because of what we had gotten at. But all the things WWE did, putting the title back on Lesnar, that way they could unify the championship, not having any other championship matches for the world title on the pay-per-view, premium live event, whatever you want to call it, you know, those these are all things that we questioned coming in and coming out of it. I have many of those same questions because, again, just like you said, you made a really good point. The finish to Edge and Daniel Bryan last year with Reigns was far more climactic than this was. This, in many ways, was anticlimactic because we all kind of knew what was going to happen. And they on the journey there, they didn't do anything special to take us there. There was no stipulation on the match. But as I said earlier, nothing happened that had not happened already. Reigns didn't even try to use the guillotine, his signature submission finisher, right? Uh, now, I'm glad that he pinned him instead of submitted him because that's been kind of a cop out that they've used. You know, he's knocked people out instead of gotten the one, two, three. And that was fine. But again, the finish and the coronation here were lackluster. And because of that, Chris, I did expect when Roman Reigns was walking up the ramp and setting himself up for his spot, I thought I didn't think he was going to stop on the ramp. I thought he was going to go to the top of the stage and I did expect the rock to come out while he was celebrating. I figured based on everything WWE did for two full nights, they had one more trick up their sleeve given. I mean, we'll talk about it later. The Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon stuff, uh, Triple H coming out tonight. Like there were so many little things that WWE did to kind of pop the crowd that it seemed like one more was in store that maybe the match wasn't an insane absolute banger because what they really wanted you to know was the main event for WrestleMania 39. Like that's where my head was going, but they didn't do it. That was it. It was Reigns on the stage, just like it was Reigns on the stage when he took down The Undertaker. And again, despite WrestleMania as a whole, both nights combined, completely exceeding my expectations. What they promoted as the biggest match in WrestleMania history did not come close to living up to that billing 
and it didn't even elicit a crowd response that the two best matches in this card did, both of which were on night one. So the Rock thing, I I went really back and forth on this kind of as it was playing out. Coming into the day, I thought, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get, we we could really good chance we could get Rock. You know, Austin got to main event night one, Rock in main event night two because he'll do a match with Roman the next week. I thought, okay, that's how it's going to go. But when Austin came out for the Vince segment right before this, that was when Party Moves thinking, maybe we're not getting Rock. Because I don't think Stone Cold's going to want to be one up like that in the segment after him. I mean, he made he made event to night one, though. But I know, but he did. But, but you know, the, the whole, you know, WrestleMania 30 thing when Rock came out after him, and he seemed like he didn't love that. That was my first thought. Okay, maybe we're not getting Rock. But then when the match ended so quickly, I thought, oh, we are going to get Rock. Right, be, be, be because it was a short match, and they they want to move on to the bigger thing. Cool, but when Roman immediately left the ring, that's when I went back to, well, maybe we're not getting Brock because I, I thought Roman would stand in the ring and Brock would come down to do something. Instead, Roman stayed there, and then he's going up the stage, and then that's when I was kind of on the fence, and then it ended, and I was kind of surprised. So that's how my that's how my emotions went throughout that. And I'll say, well, I'll say what happened when the, when the show went off the air. Brock laid in the ring for a bit. Um, he got up, waved to the crowd, you know, selling it, waved to the crowd a bit, and they played his music, and he went out like that. Um, I don't know if it's the end of his career. You know, he had said, you know, pre, he had said recently that he had decided to retire after the pandemic started, uh, decided to come back as Vince gave him money. No indication either way if that's the end of his career or not. But I just wanted to share that that's what happened after the cameras were off. I won't, I won't get into what I know, but it, it's not. It's not. He has more stuff to do. We so, get we get another we get another Goldberg match with him. No, I mean I don't know. Look, I have no idea what they're doing with him. Um, you know what I've said for about Brock Lesnar, and we'll wrap it up on this. We'll get to the rest of the card right now. And and by the way, I wish we had more to talk about for Reigns Lesnar. I really do, but we really don't because because it went exactly as expected. And the question now for Roman Reigns is what the hell is next? Because this guy has torn through. Almost everyone on the roster, he has DQ losses to uh, Seth Rollins and Xavier Woods. Cody Rhodes just joined, rejoined WWE, so he hasn't fought him. But he's basically beaten everyone else on the roster at this point. I mean, there's, you know, people that you could throw at him that would make sense. Like, I don't think he's fought Bobby Lashley and there's some others. But my point is, you know, is he going to keep the title for another year? Um, You know, what the hell are they going to do? With this guy, with this championship, is it going to remain unified and undisputed? Are they going to do you know keep it for a month and then add a new title uh, before Hell in a Cell or Money in the Bank? There's myriad things that could happen here with Roman Reigns. I would very much like to continue talking about him following the Raw after WrestleMania, which obviously happens Monday night. We will talk about that on the Tuesday show. But as far as Brock Lesnar goes, really quick to wrap it up, I've been saying this, you know, longtime listeners of mine across this podcast other ones I've been on previously. When you have people like Brock Lesnar or even a Goldberg, um, you know, people of that ilk, edge, etc., they do not need to be champion for their matches to be main events and or big money matches. Brock Lesnar will sell tickets to a pay-per-view if he fights X superstar in a regular match exactly the same as it as he would if he was fighting X superstar for a championship. And my hope upon all hopes here 
is the Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar story is over forever. We'll go Sandlot style. Forever. And Lesnar moves on to being a mercenary who comes in. He does month long, maybe six week long feuds, shows up at a couple pay per views per year, and that's it. Not that I don't love Brock. I love this version of Brock that we're getting. You don't need it every single week, and you do never need it to be involved with a championship. So those are my final thoughts here on Reigns and Lesnar, Chris. If you want to, you know, say a couple things, cool. We will talk more about this Tuesday in our Raw after WrestleMania episode. Yeah, no, nothing more. You, you know, we could speculate about who's next for Roman, whether it's Cody or whether it's Drew takes him down, whether it's SummerSlam or whatever. We don't know. We'll, we may have a better sense within 24 hours, so we'll adjust it there. Um, I do think Cody is a real possibility for what it's worth based on the way they presented yeah. it. But yeah, that's it. Oh, oh, that, uh, I'm just going to kind of remember being on the floor for that match at the end. It's just kind of a really cool uh, experience, even if the, the match is kind of whatever. But again, like I said, it, it, it was a dud. It didn't it, it didn't taint the whole show like the last one did. And I think that's good. And uh, we'll get into the rest of it. Though. Yeah, it, it, it was not bad. It just wasn't notably good. That's it. Was just, it happened and it's over. And I just want to move on. That's the best way to kind of put it. Um, let's go to the mid-show main event, which was the other huge match on the card. Edge against AJ Styles. Styles came out bloody on the side of his head because he actually hit the set with his face by accident when he walked out. Edge had a really sick entrance on an elevated throne lit on fire with his new entrance music. It was very brood-esque, but without those elements, um, the, the vampiric elements, I guess is the best way to put it. Edge got his knees up on a springboard 450. Styles sold a dislocated shoulder and popped it back into place. I thought it was a sell at first. As the match went on, I really did think it actually happened. You know, we're only going to find out after the fact. So, you know, while we tape this right now, I don't know. Edge dodged as Styles ran headfirst into the middle turnbuckle. Styles came back with a suplex in the corner. They countered signatures and finishers until Edge put on the STF. Styles sprung over the ropes for a pendulum DDT, but couldn't capitalize. Then he did a great rack bomb for a near fall. Edge came back with education for a uh, near fall. Styles had a Pele kick. Edge quickly countered a calf crusher into the label lock and cranked AJ backwards. Then he used the top rope for a slingshot powerbomb and another near fall. Styles came back with a really sick superplex onto the ring apron. Then he hit the springboard 450 into Edge's back for a near fall. Edge dodged the phenomenal forearm. Styles leaped over the spear and hit Styles Clash for a 2.9 false finish. Edge barely got a shoulder up off the mat. And then all of a sudden, we see Damian Priest showing up at ringside, and he's just standing there. He's he's looking at the ring as if he's backstage looking at a, uh, WWE television. Like, you know how they stand like sideways for really no good reason to look at the screen? That's how he was looking at the ring. Anyway, Damian Priest shows up. Styles is on the top rope. He's, I think, getting ready to hit a, a phenomenal forearm. Uh, he gets distracted just by looking at him. Edge then catches him with a spear as a counter to the phenomenal forearm for the win in 25 minutes. Longest match on the show. Longest match, period, both nights of WrestleMania in terms of in-ring time, bell to bell. Priest entered the ring after the bell, got on one knee. Both of them manically laughed at each other. Edge motioned for Priest to rise, and they stood side by side, lifting their arms into the air to a mix of cheers and boos. Chris, in our ultimate preview, in our live pre-show on Twitter Spaces, what did I keep saying? I said this was going to be exactly like AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura. And when I said that, what I meant was it's the start of a series of matches 
not a one-off. So because that was my expectation going in, I didn't mind the distraction finish, especially because Priest just stood there. He did not physically get involved. It was an extremely good match. I will say the wrestling did not completely live up to my hopes. If Styles' shoulder injury was real, that's probably part of the reason why. I'm between an A- minus and an A. I'm going to lean 4.25 stars and an A, but it was really borderline. Like, I don't know exactly what an A- minus is. Maybe it's a 93. I'd call it like a 93 out of 100. That, that's kind of where I'd put it. Uh, the good news is it because it wasn't like this incredible barn burning match, it leaves plenty of rope for them to pull in the rematch that I assume is going to come at WrestleMania Backlash or a rubber match potentially inside Hell in a Cell. But I, I did like it. I thought it was the best match of the night. And, you know, I think there's a case to be made that maybe it was on the wrong night. And we can discuss that in a moment. But I did very much enjoy Edge versus Styles. So I think this is an example of where we're viewing it on TV and viewing it in the stadium is a very different experience. Um, I, like you said, this wasn't a barn burner. And honestly, because of that, it was it was boring for a lot of it. Straight up. The crowd, crowd the crowd was silent the whole time. The crowd right? was dead for a lot of it. They did not care for just much of this, frankly. And 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 from where I also from where I was sitting in the back of the suite where I was at, I couldn't see the a good chunk of the video board. So I was only looking down at the ring. So that was part of it too. I couldn't see maybe some of the details. But yeah, this was slow and methodical. And honestly, this is what I had said to my brother going in was that everybody thinks AJ Edge is going to be batch of the night. But I think it's going to be a lot like potentially like Edge Roman, where it was just slow for a long period of time. And Edge has never really been the great worker. I think people think he is. He's very talented, but he's not a outside of TLC matches. He's not like a big spot guy, which is fine. He, he's a very talented wrestler. But uh, yeah, this was I give it probably like a B. It was fine. It, it was whatever. The Damian Priest thing was really interesting uh, because it was brought up on our Twitter spaces and I actually been it. Had, I had actually seen a Sean Ross sap tweet by accident before the show and it kind of spoiled what potentially could be coming down the road. But um, I'm glad to see there could be something for priest here because we were upset coming out of SmackDown uh, how much he had really been relegated. Didn't even get an entrance to the battle Royal. Apparently within two days, he grew a goatee. So that's cool. Uh, I liked his look and I'm, Really interested to see where it goes. So the match was whatever, but coming out of it, what's moving forward, I am very interested. I, I would love to sit here uh, with you for 20 minutes and go over the roster and who should potentially be added to their faction. But we do have to keep rolling here. We can talk about that Tuesday when we see how this is addressed on Raw. But having Priest with Edge is incredible. We've mentioned on this podcast before that Priest has sought out Edge for advice and Edge has kind of taken him under his wing a little bit uh, to give him some advice and kind of put him over. I think they also had an on-screen interaction backstage at an edition of Raw a couple months ago. So their pairing's appropriate, but I do want to see this not be a group. I don't want another three-person group in WWE. I want a faction. I want a stable. Four to five people make this real. Give Edge some power and might help allow him to help get other people over. It is the absolute best case scenario they could do. And I really do like the look and feel of this entire gimmick. It's a little bit ministry of darkness, a little bit brood, a little bit house of black, you know, just a lot of different elements kind of all coming together here. 
And Edge is certainly a capable, stable leader. So I would love to kind of see this play out, but this is not the proper show for us to go you know, deep on that. We, there's better times for it. Again, Tuesday, Raw after WrestleMania and WWE Hall of Fame episode. We will talk more about this. We'll talk more about Roman Reigns, potential challengers for that title, et cetera. But I'm glad we at least got to kind of point out what our thoughts were for this match at this point. Now, before we go on to more matches, I want to quickly talk about how the show opened. And it was a shocker to me, probably a shocker to everyone. The first thing we heard uh, after uh, America the Beautiful and they do the intro and they, they come back is Triple H's entrance music for the game. And if you ever want to know what catharsis looks like personified, it was this moment. Triple H, now medically retired, knowing he's never going to wrestle again, opening the biggest show of the year. He did the full game entrance in a suit, sprayed water. It got all over like the lapels of his suit. Um, He was basking in the adulation of the fans. He left his boots in the middle of the ring symbolically. Fans chanted, thank you, Hunter. He threw up too sweet. And then he cued the pyro to start WrestleMania. And I just thought it was an incredible moment, Chris. A great way to start and very appropriate to give him that moment. Yeah, I was just kind of standing around not paying attention when they were playing the you know, musical entrance to do that thing. And then all of a sudden, the boom, the game music hits. And I literally, I literally yelled, oh, shit, <laughs> because we were getting the Triple H entrance uh, one final time. Very cool. Uh, I feel feel like it's very special to to be in attendance for that. Um, I I had I, I mentioned this on the last show, but I taught I, I talked to Triple H a few times uh, during this past week uh, as he was leading this tryout because he's you know, running the developmental. And I had a long interview with him on Thursday and, and Wednesday. That was his first day back at work since the incident happened. He had spent like a half day stopped in the office briefly on that ever since. But he, this was his first time back fully at work. And he had, he had talked about, he talked to us about how around that time around the SummerSlam where everyone thinks happened, he was getting maybe two, three hours of sleep at night, just working himself to the bone. And then obviously things happened. And he's tried to get him, get himself back the first night, the first day, Wednesday around WrestleMania stuff. He said he felt tired, you know, a lot earlier than he normally would have. And he didn't push himself, went back to bed. So he, Clearly knows he's taking to, to, to try to take care of himself. Very, very cool. He got to have that moment, put the boots in the ring. You know, obviously we'd love to see him have one last match. That was a really special way to do it. And uh, it, it seemed like he really enjoyed it. He obviously deserves that. And I think everybody in the crowd uh, was honored to see it. One other thing before we get back to the matches, late in the show, we did have The Undertaker come out and he got a huge standing ovation. It felt very repetitive from last night. And while some may consider it taking time away from matches, one match in particular that we'll talk about at the very end, if you can give the moment of The Undertaker coming out at WrestleMania to paying fans in attendance and he's willing to do it twice, you do it twice. That's the way I look at it. Right, exactly. And that's, again, an example of TV versus being there. They, they, they wanted to do Undertaker twice. They wanted to do Austin twice. A lot of people only bought tickets to one night. There's that whole you know, debate. Are, are you going to get what night is the better one to get? So the big things like that, especially Undertaker retiring, um, potentially the last time we see him like this in WWE, uh, Hall of Fame and all that. Um, I understand doing it again. I actually missed the whole thing. I was interviewing someone in the, somewhere else. So I kind of missed the whole thing. But uh, 
I was kind of confused that they did it, but I can understand. Again, there there are there are certain things like this that are meant to be done for the people in the crowd, people who came from all over the world for this. And if if you if you miss it on night one and you were upset, you got it on night two, and that's really what it was about. Exactly. Okay, so let's keep going with the matches. We had the Raw Tag Team Championship, RK Bro versus the Street Profits versus Alpha Academy in a triple threat. It was the opening match, and it had the proper rules with three legal men at all times. Montez Ford did his insane tope cannonball over the ring post before Chad Gable hit a huge moonsault into everyone outside. Riddle hit the bro to sleep on Angelo Dawkins. I think it's the first time he's done that on the main roster. Randy Orton did all his signatures on a hot tag, backdropping Ford and Gable into the announce table. RK Bro then did stereo draping DDTs on the profits. The crowd was going wild for this. The Alphas stopped a stereo RKO attempt and hit an assisted flying bulldog on Ford for a near fall. Otis tried a Vader bomb, but got pushed outside. Ford did a crotch chop on the top rope and hit an incredible assisted flying blockbuster for a near fall. Dawkins avoided an RKO and hit the anointment on Orton before doing a tope cannonball into Otis. Ford went for his frog splash, but as he got to the top rope, Riddle jumped clean from the apron to the top rope and hit an avalanche RKO in a sick-ass spot. Ford rolled outside the ring. Gable tried to splash, and Orton caught him flying with an RKO to retain the titles in 11 minutes. This was a great opener. I did not think, despite the cool spots in the finish, I did not think it was as good as the Raw triple threat, um, but it was more spectacular given those two RKOs at the end for WrestleMania. Riddle on Ford was, I think, one of the top 10 RKOs of all time, which is wild because Randy Orton's name is not next to one of the best RKOs of all time. Uh, This was... Too short of a match, though. 11 minutes, it definitely should have been another five or six minutes longer. And because it was so short, it was tough for me to give it a grade that I would give a match that reaches that other tier, that second tier of time and false finishes and all that type of stuff. So my max here was four stars and an A minus. And the right team won. There were a couple of memorable moments. All in all, in terms of the match, it was entertaining. Yeah, very fun, very solid match. I think you're right that the Raw match is probably better. Remember, that was the one that was right after the eight, the day after the AEW show, uh, and we thought that WWE one-upped them with that. Uh, yeah, I was surprised it was as short as it was. I think a lot of people in the crowd kind of were too. But this also goes back to, in, in really two years in a row now, two, despite being two night manias, there, the matches have been relatively short. Uh for both nights for the last two years. And I think you see it with a 12 minute main event as well. So uh, I guess they're just kind of keeping things a bit shorter and moving and trying to get to everything. They packed a lot into the show four hours. Uh, would I'd like to see more. Yeah, but clearly they're, they've got this time crunch and they want to do it that way. So very solid match. I, I think the right team won. We both picked RK bro. And uh, I, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad Alpha Academy was in it. I'm glad Gable got his moment, which I assume we're about to get into. Comparing match to match, I think the the matches actually this year were longer. We had a 25-minute match and three 20-minute matches this year, plus one, two, two more 15-minute matches. So that seems to me longer than last year when everything was like 10 to 12 minutes, if memory serves. Yeah, that's true. I I didn't didn't have the numbers. I wasn't sure, but that's interesting. I guess I was kind of wrong. But but, but there there was also a lot of short stuff mixed in. And don't forget, some of it was circumstantial. Uh, you know, the New Day match was circumstantial. The SmackDown Tag Team Championship match being short was due to injury. So, you know, who knows what it would have looked like. But there were many key matches that were shorter 
than they otherwise should have been. I guess that's kind of the best way to put it. But yes, there is more to talk about here. So after the bell, RK Bro celebrated. The Prophets dapped them up and came in with red solo cups to celebrate. They just lost a title match. I don't know why they were so happy, but whatever. Uh, then as they were getting ready to toast each other, the Prophets invited Gable Stevenson to join. He jumped over the barricade, came into the ring. Chad came into the ring and slapped the solo cup out of Stevenson's hand. Stevenson removed his shirt and everyone else just dipped out of the ring to kind of watch what was going to happen. Chad started cutting a promo when Stevenson stole the mic. So Chad stole it back and told him, you know, shoo, she did a signature line. Stevenson then grabbed him by the waist and hit a toss belly to belly suplex before everyone toasted at ringside to end the segment. Between the Triple H opener and the match, WWE randomly introduced Stevenson to the crowd which I thought was really weird considering they brought the guy on stage last night. So like, why do you need to introduce him two nights in a row? But when they brought him in, the payoff of doing so obviously made sense. Did it feel forced? Absolutely. Completely forced. As I said yesterday, Stevenson seems to just have some difficulty emoting with facial expressions, which is really important for professional wrestling. But again, I'm judging a guy on two appearances. He hasn't really had any formal training. The suplex was good. It was a nice little moment. It was entertaining. It just kind of knowing we had two celebrity matches, not knowing what was going to come later with Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. There was just so much of WrestleMania over both of these nights that was not focused on all of the superstars who worked their ass off over the last year to be there and to have matches and put on a really good show. And to me, it was just an element that I wasn't mad that it happened. But it just didn't feel necessary, knowing there were already all those other things to come, plus more shit that we didn't know was going to come. I mean, my takeaway from it was that Gable Stevenson might be the most hyped up wrestler they've ever had before his first match. I, I mean, he's, he gets the big introduction. I mean, Kurt, Kurt Angle Kurt Angle was pretty freaking high. Kurt, Kurt Angle did not get three WrestleMania introductions before he wrestled his first match. Well, That's two, the thing. two in a SummerSlam. The SummerSlam was more um, he, for winning. SummerSlam was for winning the gold medal. So that was I, yes, slightly different. He's presented to us. He's been presented to a WWE stadium show three, four times now. So the bar, they have set the bar unbelievably high for him and, look, and he's incredibly talented physically and it's weird but to your point it's weird that we have yet to see him say also by the way all the nxt appearances that were in there as well couple we, yeah. we have we couple. have yet to see i don't think he's said a word on wwe tv yet and that's a big question mark and we'll see because last uh, again at the wwe tryout i asked somebody i said hey when is gable stevens like kind of coming up now now that the NCAA is over he just kind of looked around and said i'll just say soon so I think this is probably it, or it should be pretty soon here. Uh, but yeah, for, for as much hype as he's gotten, we still have some questions. Well, that's the problem. When you hype someone up to this degree, they have to absolutely deliver. And from what we've seen, and it's so limited, like I don't want to judge this kid because it's completely unfair to judge him based on snippets, which is basically what I'm doing. But I haven't seen anything that's spectacular. His resume is incredible. He, the fact that he can do a backflip and you know is entertaining and passionate when he wins amateur wrestling matches, that's great. That doesn't necessarily directly translate into being a professional wrestler. He has a look. Is it the type of look that WWE is going to use to put this guy over? 
as a world champion? Is this the guy? Are they going to try to build him up over 18 months or two years to be the one to knock off Roman Reigns? Is, is that what they're doing? I, I don't see it right now. I just don't. And again, it's, it's early and I'm not trying to cast a final judgment. I'm not. I'm giving him all the time in the world. He deserves it. But from what I've seen so far in these appearances, it's just kind of like he's there and he's being forced down our throats. That is how it, I perceive it to this point. I, I think that's fair. I guess we'll see. Okay. Uh, so let's move over to, well, the celebrity matches and I guess the lower card. We can kind of put it all together. Uh, we had Pat McAfee against Austin Theory. On SmackDown, McAfee was dancing on the desk to Shinsuke Nakamura's entrance. When Theory jumped out of the crowd and pulled his leg out, slamming him on the desk, Theory ran off into Vince McMahon's office. McAfee kicked in the door, uh, and Vince threatened to fire McAfee if he didn't get out of there and go do his job. Theory then came back out during a match and threw a drink in McAfee's face. Michael Cole convinced him not to chase him. Theory also beat Balor, Finn Balor, in a six-man tag team match. It was stunning and upsetting and angering in the moment. Um, but I, I was th- happy that in the go home, at least something finally happened between McAfee and McMahon and theory where they were telling a little bit of a story. So we go over to WrestleMania. Mr. McMahon comes out first, introduces theory as a future WWE universal champion. McAfee's entrance was the seven nation army. They paid the license to the song. The Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders joined him for the entrance. He also punted a ball on the ramp into the crowd The cameras, I think, missed when he kicked it. So we just saw the ball land. I love that McAfee's wrestling gear, by the way, is what he wears 99% of the time in his life with sparkles added to it. Just really, really funny. As far as the match, and there's many parts of this whole thing we're going to break down. We'll talk about the match first. McAfee hit a spinning elbow in a hurricanrana. The crowd was going nuts for him every single time he did something. Uh, Michael Cole was also on commentary, pure baby face, cheering for him the entire time. McAfee put on a headset and did commentary shouting out his parents while he was beating on Theory. McAfee got the fans hyped, but missed a senton bomb. And Theory hit a spinning powerbomb for a near fall. McAfee uh, impressively flipped off the top rope, then leaped back onto it for a top rope superplex. The crowd went wild again, but it was a 2.5 count. McAfee missed a punt kick. Theory started gloating and had Pat in aid town down, but Pat slid off his shoulders and rolled him up for the one, two, three in 10 minutes. McAfee's match with Adam Cole, straight up, Far better than this. Okay. Now, Adam Cole, also more experienced, far better wrestler than Austin Theory, but this was not meant to be a work rate match. This was not an NXT black and gold match in an empty arena. This was in front of 70,000 fans, uh, a big time celebrity in a spectacle match. The crowd bought into every single thing that happened. Because of that, it was a success. You know, I'll give it three stars and a B minus because the wrestling was whatever. But in terms of delivering, on a match, in a moment, they absolutely did it here. Look, if, if you didn't see Pat McAfee's Adam Cole match, you were completely blown away. And that's most people. You were completely blown away by what Pat McAfee was doing there with the flips, with the suplexes, with everything. We had seen it. We knew he could do that stuff. But millions of people watching hadn't seen it, didn't know. And so and they, uh, they obviously didn't show it. They never really talked about McAfee having a match before or, or, or whatnot. So they kind of kept it under wraps a bit. And yeah, crowd was going nuts for this thing the entire time from the very beginning of the seven nation army came out. Uh, the punt, by the way, he actually kind of shanked it. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> it was a bit of a shank of a punt uh, went off the stage, but uh, m- match was fun. Like again, 
it wasn't something where I was really paying attention to the string of moves being put together. I was just paying attention to in the moment what's happening at this time. And it was fun. You know, Pat McAfee is very good at this. The, the match wasn't great, but McAfee did some pretty impressive stuff. And he's just, he, 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 he's so good at this sports entertainment thing. Like he can do how to play to the crowd. It looked like I, you may have said it. I may have missed it uh, from where my vantage point. It looked like he grabbed the, the, uh, the headset and talked on commentary, which is incredible. Uh, just incredible amount of fun. Crowd was just, crowd was just electric the entire time. And that's the definition of sports entertainment. And we'll get some more of that, but um, it was very fun. So after the bell, uh, McMahon seemed to kind of get into theory a little bit. He wasn't screaming at him, but he was getting after him a little bit. McAfee leaned over the ropes and talked trash to both of them. And Vince like started taking his jacket off, put it back on, then took it off. And he gets in the ring and tells a referee to join him. And they, you know, they're standing across from McAfee. And I'm like, are they really going to do this? Is Pac going to wrestle Vince McMahon? So Theory attacks McAfee from behind. Then the bell rings and it's an official match. McAfee hits some shots. Theory tripped McAfee and drove him crotch first into the post. Vince feigned punting a football into the crowd. Then he actually did it into McAfee's body. And that's how he got the one, two, three. Theory celebrated with Vince after the bell. Then they hugged each other. The whole thing felt like WWE took something amazing and made it terrible for no reason whatsoever. As if, you know, they wanted Pat to get the win, but they wanted Austin Theory to have the big moment. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, they took a show that I, I wasn't loving, but I also wasn't down on. And they're really bringing me down before the main event. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin's music hits, the glass shatters. And I'm like, man, they just worked my ass. Austin 316, they just worked my ass is what I said in that moment. Stone Cold trucked it to the ring. He shit talked Vince. Theory attacked. Austin easily took him out with some punches and a stunner. Theory flew into the air like he had been catapulted off a swing. It was an incredible sell. Vince sipped the beer. And he was like, oh, I think it's pretty good. Like you could tell he was kind of saying to Austin, hey, your beer's not good. Let's be friends. Then they chugged beers together. And unfortunately, when Austin kicked him for the stunner, Vince slipped or fell. I mean, the guy's 80. Like, you know, you can't really blame him. Uh, they fumbled. Austin hit a weak stunner, probably the worst stunner of all time, which made it funny, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, and that ended the segment. You can't really blame Vince McMahon. Like I said, he's older. He slipped. He was probably blown from doing as much action as he did. Uh, so then Austin celebrating, McAfee returns to the ring. He and Austin are chugging a bunch of beers. They get on the top rope. They're in the ring chugging. And then Austin stuns his ass too. McAfee did a Shane McMahon style sell, spouting beer out of his mouth, spraying it everywhere. There was another shot later while Austin was celebrating of McAfee laying at ringside, like looking dead but slowly pouring a beer into his mouth as if it was going to revive him or something like that. Look, I got completely worked here. This was incredible. And I love being worked. So that was great too. It's tough to sit here and say, WWE shouldn't have done this so that X person or Y person could wrestle. You know, Finn Balor not being on the card, Damian Priest, we talked about it, all these types of things. But there was a lot of these special nostalgic callbacks and celebrity moments across both shows, as I mentioned earlier. I do wonder on one hand if it was too much. On the other, I was thoroughly entertained by the entire thing. 
Credit to Vince for doing this at his age and credit to WWE for laying this out extremely well where they swerved us and they got Austin another moment with Vince McMahon. It's almost as if they had Austin Kevin Owens and they said, you know what? That's great. But Austin's final moment in the ring on WWE TV should be with Vince McMahon. And it really should have been. So I was happy that they did it. This overall was a huge win. So unfortunately, I missed a big chunk of this because this was when we were in the process of going down to the floor from the suite up top. So we mi- I missed the freaking Austin glass breaking to go after Vince. I-, I got in the ring after the Vince stuff was done. Uh, so I got to the floor when the Vince stuff was done. Saw the McAfee stuff and stuff that played after that. So that was great. Seeing Austin up close and doing all that was, was certainly a surreal you know, once-in-a-lifetime moment for me. So I, I can't judge the Vince stuff. I saw the clips of the replays uh, of the stunners. I got to say, you know, Vince is pretty well known for being terrible at taking the stunner. And so I think even accidentally taking the worst stunner of all time was really a fitting way to do it. <laughs> so, it, it, so, so that's something. Look, could New Day have gotten more time? Could Finn Balor, whoever bet, bet on the card, Yes, but they did have a lot of matches in this show, and the and, and again, a lot of this is in the stadium. You want the people to go crazy. The people who didn't get night one didn't get their Austin moments, and other people in night two did it, and they did it in a really fun way. Uh, look, this was sports entertainment again, and, and it's just how this goes sometimes. And you look at the crowd, you see the reaction, you see the reaction on social media. You can't say they're doing something wrong. Like, this is kind of how it goes. So this was really fun from what I saw. I, I got to go back and see the whole clip of it. I'm, annoyed. I'm really sad that I missed it. But, um, yeah, this was fun, man. All right, let's keep going. We had the Women's Tag Team Championship, Carmella and Queen Zelina against Sasha Banks and Naomi, Live for Brutality and Natalia and Shayna Baszler. On SmackDown, we had Carmella and Zelina against Banks and Naomi in a non-title match. Banks hit a Vader bomb. Naomi hit the split leg moonsault, and they pinned Zelina. It did not make a shred of sense to me why the champions were in this match, let alone book to lose on the go-home show. They should have let like Natalia take the pin with two non-champion teams if you want to put a match on the card. And when you consider it was Sasha Banks and Naomi pinning the champions in the SmackDown match, and then you think about what happened on WrestleMania, which we're going to talk about right now, it makes even less sense that they did this on the go-home show. So for Mania, Sasha drove out in a neon yellow, I think it was a Lambo, Lamborghini, Ripley did not get a special entrance, but I really thought she should have. Mella came out in an all-white Madonna-inspired gear from uh, Like a Virgin. Corey Graves reminded that they promised they would have a sex celebration when she retains the title. Unfortunately, only two women were legal at a time in this match. You guys know that's not my style. It's a fatal four-way. Four people should be legal at all times. But WWE in this match basically ignored tagging, and everyone just wrestled. Now, when I say ignored tagging, I mean that... They didn't ignore tagging in terms of who was legal. They made sure they tagged. It was consistent throughout the entire match. But because there were so many tags, it felt like everyone was legal at all times. It almost was as if this should have been a tornado match or something to that effect. Anyway, uh, Sasha and Liv did topes on opposite sides of the ring. Liv hit two code breakers and oblivion, but Banks was no longer legal. Zelina hit a code red. Naomi hit rear view. Mella Huracaranad. Ripley off the ropes. Then Zelina took her out with a flipping inverted DDT. It was a really good spot. Liv and Rhea each uh, executed stereo super duper plexes in opposite corners. 
They combined for a Riptide backbreaker, which if they stay a team, I presume will be their finisher. But the fall on Naomi, Naomi was broken. Mella made a blind tag and got a 2.8 on Naomi after a basement super kick. Sasha hit the frog splash on Mella for a false finish. Zelina saved Mella from a bank statement. Uh, then she hit a uh, assisted rolling glam slam face buster with Naomi to win the titles in 10 minutes. The only thing I really want to give them credit for, like I kind of just said, is they really kept ta- uh, kept track of the tagging, which even though there were only two legal women at a time, it was important to do that. But the match just felt like there were too many people involved. So much was happening at the same time that basically nothing really happened. It was enjoyable, but messy. There was really no story to the match. And there was never a heightened anticipation for the finish. If this was just maybe a triple threat, or if they had changed the titles a while ago, and it was live for brutality against Sasha Banks and Naomi in a simple tag team match, this could have been incredible, but it just wasn't. So I'm going to go with 3.25 stars and a B. It definitely wasn't any better than that. And if you thought it was worse, I'd be okay with you saying so. Yeah, it was fine. It was, I don't want to say it was a mess, but there was just kind of a lot going on. There wasn't a ton of flow to it. Um, and kind of the big question is just who's going to win. And, you know, Sasha got a big, big roar for her entrance. So did Naomi. They probably got the, the biggest roar. Lives was decent. Rhea's was pretty big. Um, and yeah, I, I picked, uh, I picked Sasha and Naomi to win and they won. And I think it kind of made sense in terms of where they wanted to go. So not really much more analysis to this. There wasn't really a story for this match or nothing to, there wasn't nothing to pay off. It just kind of happened and it was fine. And that's exactly the problem. We should have a lot of stuff to talk about. When Sasha Banks wins her first ever WrestleMania match, she yeah. was 0-6 coming in, which is a huge number. And it just felt like they completely wasted this and threw it away. Now, could they still tell the story that she's never won a singles match at WrestleMania? Absolutely, they could. So maybe they do it. But they should have saved this story for a bigger moment next year with a singles title on the line. It just felt wasted to me. And... I had really high hopes based on some of the matches we had seen on television that they were going to go all out in this match. I mean, the the Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair match on night one was so incredible. Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey didn't live up to that, but it was still really entertaining and and the pacing was bad, but it was well put together. You could tell a lot of effort and work was put into it. This did not feel like that. I am very curious to find out who the producers are for all of the night two matches because the night one matches were exceptionally strong. And the night two matches, just from a storytelling standpoint, really were not. I'm not saying all of them were bad, but many of them weren't as good as they could have been. And this was an example of one of them that I thought was disappointing. Uh, that, Sammy- that's a good that's a good way of putting it, because because while there was a lot of sports entertainment celebrity stuff, the match, the, the actual wrestling matches on night two were not all that great. All yeah, the ones we've talked about, Edge, Edge, AJ, Edge, AJ, Brock. Uh, you know, Roman this match as well. Just kind of didn't deliver after night one. I would say the only two matches on night two that were notable, I mean, they're the only ones I gave four, you know, four stars plus two were the Raw Tag Team Championship that opened, which was super fun, yes. but but super fun, but too short. And the AJ Styles edge match, which was well wrestled, but kind of boring. Like it didn't just, it, it didn't pick anyone up. It didn't really get you yeah. going. So even on the two matches that were the best matches on the card, both of them had flaws as well. The night one show, uh, there were at least two matches that basically did not have flaws. They were relatively flawless. 
And when you're comparing apples to apples, it's it's kind of tough to say that night two even held the candle to night one when all those things are happening. But we have more to talk about. Let's get through it before we get into the grades and all that type of stuff. Uh, Sami Zayn fought Johnny Knoxville in an anything goes match. This was third on the card. Zayn hit a halluva kick at the bell, but didn't cover. I mean, he could have won right there. He didn't. Uh, Knoxville used a fire extinguisher. Sammy found a table covered in mouse traps. Whoever glued them down did a really shitty job. They were all falling off. Sammy put Johnny through a prop table in the corner with an exploder suplex and Knoxville kicked out, which he's not a wrestler. He probably should have been the end of the match. Chris Pontius jumped in the ring as party boy and danced up on Zane old school jackass style. Sammy kicked him under the ring when all of a sudden we man emerged and fucking body slammed Sammy Zane in the ring. The crowd went insane. I mean, you can talk about it, you know, in a minute, but on TV, we man got one of the top like four or five pops of the night. I would probably say Knoxville hit a tornado DDT for a 2.9. Then Zane booted we man in the face to huge booze. And he really laid that shit in on him. Uh, Sammy went high risk when Knoxville used a remote control to ignite pyro behind him. Way more believable, by the way, than the, the top rope breaking on Finn Balor. At least the guy had a remote. Then he rolled a bowling ball into Sammy's nuts, dragged him over to an ass kicking machine that delivered a low blow in his crotch. A huge hand came out of nowhere at ringside to smack Sammy Zane down. Knoxville used tongs on his nuts again and threw Sammy off the top rope into the mousetrap table outside. And the payoff was all the jackass guys brought a giant mousetrap into the ring. Knoxville tased Sammy, put him in the mousetrap and trapped him in it covering him for the one, two, three. This was incredible. Okay. It could have been terrible. It probably should have been terrible. No, it was incredible. Sammy sold his ass off, not only for Knoxville, but for Wee Man. Sammy did 95% of the work in this match and proved exactly why WWE made it a priority to re-sign him and pay him as much money as they are. Because they trust him. They trust him in the ring, period. And they trust him with celebrities. Wee Man Spot completely changed the energy in the match from you're smirking at it and you're having a little maybe giggle to yourself to laugh out loud funny. Michael Cole and Pat McAfee were on the call. You didn't hear it. They were laughing their asses off the entire time. This doesn't get a number rating because it wasn't a real match. But purely, I want to be very clear, purely in terms of entertainment value and execution, this was an A. This was five-star entertainment. I mean, without a doubt. And by the way, you said Wee Man uh, might have been top four, top five pop of the night. It was the number one pop of the night. <laughs> it, 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 that place erupted when he slammed him. It was just like Hulk Hogan doing Andre the Giant, frankly, when you think about it. When you think about the size differences, this was even more. Greater, impressive. greater difference. Yeah. 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 So this was just so much fun uh, did, did you ever watch any of the jackass stuff were you familiar with it oh uh, yeah i watched it grow i mean you know it, for me it was when i was growing up yeah did you did you see the um the most recent movie i have not seen the most recent movie even though it is available i think it's yeah. uh streaming on paramount plus it's, it's available right now it's, um, it's pretty yeah. it was pretty good it's pretty good but so so the big hand is something they had in i think pretty much every movie and of they course back in of the course. new one and, and so that for, for them like to have to 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 like essentially pay off a, a jackass specific you know reference was was pretty incredible. I saw a bunch of people making jokes on Twitter afterward. It would have been amazing if someone fed the line to Pat McAfee to say that that was uh, that was May Young's 
uh, baby hand all grown so up or something like Mark that. Mark Henry, Mark Henry tweeted that actually. Oh, did he? Oh my God. Yeah. So I'm trying to find it right now while I'm kind of stalling a little bit and talking, but he tweeted, uh, Mark Henry and May Young's son debuts at WrestleMania. And he tweets, all I do is produce generational talent. And he even hashtag <laughs> WrestleMania, even though he's on AEW. So shout out to That's Mark great. Henry for playing into it. It was great. That, that is, that is great, man. Look, yeah. Like this, this was everything it needed to be and more. And, you know, you think about Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and them resigning and where they're at people thinking if they're going to go to AEW or something like that. I think, frankly, when you look at where they're at in their careers, that Kevin Owens just got to main event a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin on one night, and Sami Zayn's in perhaps the most entertaining moment of the other night of WrestleMania when he's doing a bunch of goofy shit with with Jackass. Like, that's a pretty... And they're both getting paid a ton of me. That's a pretty good place to be. You don't need to be, you know, doing ladder matches every week and stuff like that uh, or, or anything like that. Those guys, um, I think, know what they are. WWE clearly values them. Sami Zayn being in the Johnny Knoxville match means they think very highly of him. Just because he's not in some blood feud or something like that doesn't mean he's not doing that. They've really helped. They've really leaned into his his crazy, weaselly heel conspiracy character. And this is something I'm definitely, probably before I go to bed, I'm going to, I'm going to rewatch slash watch for the first time on Peacock, this whole thing. Right. Like I'm going to watch this again. I'm not going to watch the women's tag team championship. I'm not going to watch the main event of the show, the biggest WrestleMania match of all time. I'm not going to watch that again, but I'm going to rewatch this. And and that just goes to tell you how funny and entertaining it was. Let's keep going. We got some other things to get out of, and then we'll go on Uh, Bobby Lashley versus Omos. This was second on the card. Lashley had a grand entrance with no MVP, by the way, in sight. I guess because he's a baby face, maybe they took MVP away. Omas dominated early and easily powered out of the hurt lock. Omas caught Lashley flying off the top rope and dropped him straight onto the canvas. Lashley banged the top of his head legitimately into the top of the metal post behind the turnbuckles. Lashley then did an insane suplex on Omas, speared him from behind, speared him from the front to get the clean one, two, three in seven minutes. This was all it needed to be. Classic 1980s style. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> that was the only thing we possibly could see from this match, and it's what we got. The, the problem, there was nothing special about it, though. Like, it didn't resonate with me in any particular way. I went 2.75 stars and a C plus. However, it did get four slabs of beef just because it was a lot of big media action and we got to give credit where it's due. Yeah, it, it's exactly what we thought. You know, they, they, they tried to, they tried to kind of tell a story in there. Bobby's trying to build up to get to do the suplex. Um, I, I, I doing the suplex worked. It, it had a very solid crowd of reaction. Everybody knew it kind of built to that moment and they reacted. It was a pretty good roar, but I think because it was such a quick suplex, it didn't like, it didn't like build up. It didn't hold that moment of excitement. It just kind of happened. It was like, all right, is this going to be the time he super? Oh, oh, he did it. Oh, he suplexed him. There it was. It wasn't like he picked him up and fell back. There was no like, oh, it was just like, oh, it kind of happened like that. Uh, so it wasn't what it was. I thought Omos, by the way, was quite competent in this match. I, I thought he handled himself pretty well. Um, you know, all things considered, um, 
still think he you know has some potential. I think he kind of showed it there. So yeah, there wasn't much to this. It was kind of meant to build to a slam. The slam was all right. Glad to see Bobby Lashley back. He's awesome. That entrance was very cool. Uh, the kind of the camera panning up. Mm-hmm. Um, MVP was in Dallas. I saw him at Walmart Mania, but I guess he wasn't at the match, but it was fine. Yeah, I hope he's still with WWE. Um, and whether it's a, in a backstage role, he comes out with Lashley and goes face. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but I definitely do not want uh, MVP going anywhere. By the way, really quick, just while we're talking, you know, I'm checking Twitter uh, just to make sure I don't miss anything. Really cool picture of Sasha Banks backstage with Stone Cold Steve Austin drinking a beer together. So that was pretty cool. Mm. Uh, but lastly on the show, uh, New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge Holland. Chris, I think you know what I'm going to do here. Uh, this was scratched from night one. New Day came out in special Biggie-inspired gear with the full-body style singlet type of uh, trunks that Biggie wears, basically, instead of just pants. If you think about the careers of Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston, now Kofi, for a period of time back in the day, when he did the Jamaican character, he wore the shorts. I don't think I've ever seen these guys not in pants over the last like <laughs> 10 years since New Day's existed. But it was the same colors that Biggie wore when he won the WWE title, and his sayings were all over the jackets and the gear. The heels attacked before the bell. Kofi at Trouble in Paradise immediately, but the fall was broken. Butch was ringside. He was manic, trying like almost acting like a child that he needed to be held back from fighting in the match. He literally was restrained by Sheamus, who was actually in the match. Kofi jumped off the steel steps, got caught flying outside with a bro kick. Butch distracted the referee, and then Sheamus hit Xavier Woods with a bro kick. Then Holland hit Northern Grit. And they got the win in a minute and 45 seconds. So let's just think about this. New Day comes out in Big E tribute gear for a guy who is a fan favorite who broke his freaking neck and gets absolutely squashed, presumably because the match got moved and they threw it onto the show because people were probably complaining that it got, you know, scratched. Except they aired highlights from Saturday's matches all throughout the show. I know a lot of those highlights aired while Peacock was in commercial, but not all of them did. And there were so many other extraneous elements that happened throughout this show that the fact that they could not find three or four more minutes for this match or put it on the kickoff show, a two-hour kickoff show where nothing happened and give it 10 minutes, it made no sense whatsoever. This was a total piece of shit if if they didn't want to put it on the show, the bare minimum, they should have done a backstage attack and set up a match with a stipulation for SmackDown on Friday night. Do something where you're setting something up for SmackDown, where you can give them 15, 20 minutes, allow them to have the blow-off match and end this feud. There was nothing at all redeeming about it. It was a total piece of shit. It was not the fault of anyone in the ring. It's completely ungradable and a waste of time that made New Day look like shit for absolutely no reason in front of 70,000 people that only wanted to pop for them and Big E. If they had won, there probably would have been Big E chance in the crowd. The real reason I'm upset is because they did the tribute and then got squashed. How could WWE, which we got to say, even if we didn't love Night 2, they did a really good job booking the right uh, winners throughout both of these nights and ensuring things at least got a modicum of time. But how could they not be smarter knowing people would get pissed off at this? 
I thought this WrestleMania was going so well. I wouldn't use any of these sound drops, but it was this match. It elicited it out of me. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Glutarski. This was an absolute zero, and it was really, really pathetic. So here's the thing. I missed this entire thing. I was in the back of the suite interviewing You're somebody for my, for my story. And I heard the New Day entrance. And I was doing my interview. And I came back to my spot. And I said to my brother, what happened? And he explained it. And it sounded very confusing and strange. And I need to go watch it for the first time. But based on that, based on the reaction from everybody else that I saw, and now you, this was a complete waste of time. And frankly, the only thing across two nights that was garbage. Yeah. Like everything, everything else that which which is what made it so surprising, which is why, again, if it wasn't going to be something good, you should have just cut it like they did on night. If that's all it was going to be, just don't do it. I, I, I know if I know New Day's got their gear, they want to give the tribute to Biggie. I get it. But if it's going to be that, just don't do it. Um because everything else between two nights was good to great. This is the only thing that was apparently trash, but that's all I can say because, again, I didn't see it. But the thing is, for WrestleMania, nothing should be trash. That's the whole point of if you're not going to give this time and actually do something, then you then do what I said. You do a backstage attack segment. They have the gear. They get to cut a promo. They made the special gear for Big E at WrestleMania, blah, blah, blah. And they have a 15-minute match on TV and New Day wins. I have no idea how they followed this up on SmackDown. I really, you know what? I'm at a point. I just want it to end. I don't want these people wrestling anymore. And it made it it's makes, been so bad. It makes this it, whole, the whole between, thing. The whole so feud, bad. starting with the ATVs, it made zero sense. I think they told a fake story about Sheamus's dad worked in the automotive industry and he was pissed that they had an ATV. Like it, it didn't make a shred of sense from the very start. If they had given us a six man, if Biggie was healthy. And it got a good amount of time on WrestleMania. Cool. By the way, New Day as a group has never won a WrestleMania match. That is absolutely wow. That is absolutely insane. So one thing after another that just didn't make any sense. And this was like, you know, at that point in the show, the show was not amazing. We already said I already was in my head. Night two isn't as good as night one. The match was coming up. I'm like, hey, if they give him five, six minutes, it'll be fine. They give him a minute 45. Like it, it couldn't, they couldn't have booked something that would have made me more angry than what they did here. So, all right, enough, enough talking about it. It's a long show. Let's get to the end. Let's wrap things up, go over the pre-show grades, the night one grades, our night two grades, and then our overall grades for WrestleMania 38. First, I'm going to do a quick reminder of the pre-show grades. Uh, Chris was an A minus. I was a B. And the listeners were a B as well. A reminder also on the night one grades, it was an A across the board. Straight A's for myself, Chris, and the listeners. Chris, let's move to the night two grades. I did not poll the audience for this because I figured it'd be a little confusing to post two polls on Twitter simultaneously. So just going to be you and I here. And when we do grades, I always let you start. Um, This is what I'll say as a prelude while you think about what your grade is going to be. With the card, There was no chance that night two could live up to night one, even though it seemed like it was going to be the stronger card on paper. It still could have been booked better. So even if it wasn't going to be as good as night one, it could have been way better than it actually was. There was so much of night two that just felt like 
filler, as if WWE felt that the importance of the main event would overcome the weakness of the undercard. And the biggest problem is that the main event was not strong enough to overcome the weak undercard. So with that said, Chris, what is your grade for night two only of WrestleMania 38? For night two only, I'm going to say B. Um, It was fine. Other than the New Day thing, which I didn't see. Everything was fine to fun. There was there, there was nothing like amazing, but there was a lot of really fun things. The celebrity matches, the opening tag match, Austin McAfee had a lot of fun. Nothing where I'm like, oh man, that's an amazing match, like Bianca Bianca from, from night one. There was a lot of filler. Some of the matches were kind of boring. Um, it's it, it's kind of tough to grade in that sense because it was it, it was fun but not good. I'm kind of between that B B plus range. I'm gonna say I think we're gonna say for night two on its own because the main event wasn't very good. I'm gonna say B, but a high B, not quite B plus. So I think we're in the same ballpark, Chris. But I'm not anywhere near. Where you are, uh, I'm a B minus. Wait, 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 what does that mean? We're, we're, we're close, but we're not in the same ballpark? <laughs> yeah, because we're both in the B range, but I'm not anywhere near high okay. B. I'm at the bottom okay. bottom end of the range. So we're we're close, but we're not. Yeah, I guess I guess ballpark was the wrong term. <laughs> it's 2 a.m. It's two Eastern. Are you it's really 2 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, you want me shit for this right now? Okay, so um, <laughs> my, my point is we're in this. We're, we are in the same ballpark. But we're on different ends of it. Okay. okay you're out in le- okay. you're out you're out in left field on behind home plate. Makes that's sense. that's the difference. Okay. If you need if you need me to change the reference. Anyway, so you're high B, I'm low B. I'm like, you know, 81, 82. You know, like if we're grading on a scale like that. So I'm at a B minus, you're at a B. At least we have our uh, our night two grades. Now let's talk what really matters, what everyone's been waiting for, the overall grade for WrestleMania 38. Chris, the listeners came in. Tons of votes. I think our most voted upon poll of all time. The listeners came in for the combined grade of night one and night two. 66% A, 29% B, 4% C. And finally, we got a vote for D to F. 1% D to F. It was probably one or two (laughs) votes. So that obviously obviously gets thrown out. The 4% C, I think that can get thrown out as well. So we're really dealing with 66% A and 29% B. And considering the vast majority is A there, I'm going to say that the listener grade was an A minus. Chris, what is your overall grade for both nights combined of WrestleMania 38? My final grade for both nights combined is the same as my expectation grade coming in. And that's an A minus. I think it was an A minus show. It could have been an A. Honestly, if, Brock Roman had delivered a really, really good match. I think this could have moved up to an A despite some of the other stuff. Uh, and because it didn't end on a high note, it ends up being an A minus. Look, I, I was counting it off with my brother on the walk back to the car. I counted probably eight ish things between the two nights that were just awesome. I don't have the list in front of me, but, but whether it was uh, Cody, Nakamura entrance, Becky Bianca, Austin Owens. Uh, Pat McAfee, Austin McMahon, <laughs> Austin McMahon, um, Knoxville, uh, uh, yeah, Knoxville, 
even you could even throw the, the opening tag on there, getting the Triple H kind of goodbye. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost 10, like really, really, really cool things. And none of it was trash except for the New Day thing. So I think I think the, the floor for the show ended up being uh, very high in, in you know, every, every year after Mania, we say, you know, what's the best mania? Is this in a conversation for the best mania? If, if it's a good one. I don't think this was the best WrestleMania, especially because it relied on so many celebrities and nostalgia. But it was one of the most fun WrestleManias. Well, like there were just nonstop moments where I'm just like, this is just a heck of a lot of fun. I'm not thinking about story. I'm not thinking about booking. I'm not thinking about, oh, someone should be pushing when they're not. I was just thinking about what was happening in front of me. And it was just a lot of fun. And yes, again, I was biased by being there, but the but the listeners gave it an A minus as well. So uh, I'm going to say A minus. So this is extremely tough for me because night one was so freaking strong. And even though I was down on night two, I do agree with your general point, which is that the wrestling wasn't great, but the entertainment value was high. And I do think when you grade WrestleMania, it's a little bit different than Money in the Bank. Yeah. Or even SummerSlam or, or Hell in a Cell, where when we're looking at that, we're, we're talking about were the matches really good? Did the right people win? And did they tell good stories? And does it make sense based on what they're trying to do in you know booking going forward? WrestleMania in many ways is the culmination. This one, more than many others, because there were so many one-off matches with the celebrity stuff. I think, you know, the tagline was stupendous. Right. And we mocked it because it was stupid. But I think they efforted to reach the tagline. They said, we are promising a spectacle. We are going to provide a spectacle. So in that way, WWE succeeded massively. They did something that no other sports entertainment company can do. And you know what? They did something that no sport or entertainment company can do. You're not going to see yep. the you're not going to see the Academy Awards like this. The Super Bowl Super Bowl is, is truly spectacular, right? It's the biggest event of the year, but you get a halftime show, some people like it, some people don't. You get a game, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. You get a, a nice national anthem to start. There's a lot of people there. And that's it. This was legitimately sports entertainment. Now, if you don't like that, and you are a hardcore work rate wrestler fan, and that's all you like, and you're a smart, and AEW is your preferred company, then maybe you can come in and say, you know what? The two matches on night one, those were awesome. I didn't care for the rest of the show. You know, I, I accept that if that's someone's opinion. But as someone, myself I'm speaking about now, who grew up loving both wrestling and sports entertainment, this delivered in a way that you got to give credit words due sometimes only WWE can do. No one else can pull off what WWE just did over exactly. the two nights. And nope. uh, credit to Steve Austin for being t- willing to do everything that he did, including having a match. Credit to Vince McMahon for stepping in the ring at age 80 or whatever he's at right now. Um, Cody Rhodes returning to WWE, the women's match. By the way, I mean, we'll get to it. Uh, the best matches. I think it's pretty clear what the best match at WrestleMania was across both nights. So my point is what I'm getting back to is I'm not really grading this like I would a work rate pay-per-view along the lines of AEW revolution. 
I'm going to grade that type of show completely different than I grade this because the content is so drastically different. So even though I really did not like the wrestling on night two, it's very difficult to say that I sat there for four hours, didn't laugh, smile, pop, jump out of my seat, get worked, all of those things. And by the way, the match, the main event, the biggest wrestling WrestleMania match of all time, championship unification, whatever, I didn't love it, but they got the booking right. The right person won the match, and that's super important given how many times we've seen this match with the wrong person winning or the booking being terrible or the fans not caring. So when I come back to it at the end, I have an A for night one, a B minus for night two. I am almost going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what? It's between an A minus and a B plus. I'll give you like a 90 or 91 out of 100. They have an A minus. It was truly one of the most notable and entertaining WrestleManias of all time, even Mm -hmm. if it was not from start to finish, the best overall show that we've ever seen. And by the way, there, I had zero expectation coming in that it would be the best WrestleMania ever because the card was not very good and my expectations were so low. That, that's what I said to you in the ultimate preview, Chris. I said, I'm giving it a B expectation grade because number one, that's what I believe it's going to be. But it gives WWE an opportunity, a very rare opportunity at a WrestleMania to exceed my expectations. And there is no doubt that after two nights, eight hours of TV, or premium live events, whatever you want to call it, they definitely exceeded my expectations. Yeah. I mean, when I gave A- minus as my pre-show expectation grade, that was not based on the build to the show. That was based on my thinking that they would be able to come through with stuff that was entertaining. And look, they, they think about this. They and, they and they gave us two things that we didn't expect. They gave us a Stone Cold Steve Austin match and a Vince McMahon match unannounced. On this card, like, like you want to talk about, you want to talk about under promising. That's the definition of it right there. I mean, they didn't even put, they didn't even put Vince on the card. Really. It was just, he was friends with Austin theory and that was it. Like they didn't, got a, they got didn't announce, Vince out of it. they did not announce that Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to have a match. Cody Rhodes obviously was not brought onto yes. raw to promote WrestleMania. Yes. So all of these things are surprises that when we were evaluating it, we could not have said we're definitely going to happen. And you know what? I think we like it more because of that. You know, we, we had talked about should they debut Cody beforehand to actually build to the Seth match or should they wait for a surprise? Should they tell us what Kevin Owens and Steve Austin are going to do or should we just wait and see? And them not telling us, them giving us the surprises worked. That's what we love about wrestling. We, we, we love the stories and we love surprises. So it's, it's got to be one or the other. And they decided to go with a lot of surprises and it worked. And I, I think it's, I think it's a large part because the expectations were so low for that reason. Two, two more things I want to talk about before we get out of here. We'll do them really quick. I want to give a couple superlatives, see if you agree or what your thoughts are as well. I'm going to start with best match, best match for WrestleMania. Zero question in my mind, Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. What was your favorite match? Yep, zero question for that. I would give Seth and Cody the number two. What would you do number two? Yeah, Seth and Cody number two, not even a question. What was your best moment of the entire two-night WrestleMania? Um, You know, it might have been Austin Vince if I had seen the glass break at the time, but I I didn't, so I can't grade that. So for me personally, 
it was the Cody entrance and surprise debut, surprise, not surprise moment. It it would to get it was when you heard wrestling is more than one royal family. Yeah. And then you see the whole you get you didn't see it on Peacock, but then the whole logo and everything pops up on the screen. I flipped out. That that <laughs> that to me, yeah. that to me was the number one moment. To know that we were not just getting Cody, we were getting the AEW Cody. Uh to me, that was my favorite moment of the weekend. Well, what's funny too is we all knew he was gonna be there. And still, it was the best moment. It just the way it was done was so extraordinary that. I agree. That was my best moment as well. I was going to ask worst match, but we know what that was. So let's not even talk about it. Uh, what was your biggest surprise on both nights? Um, biggest surprise, perhaps, uh, probably the length of the Austin match. And interesting. Okay. It, it, it be because it was ended up being like what fifteen minutes, I think something like that. Oh being, yeah. Oh yeah. They went. Like, they went. In 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 when it started off. He was moving kind of slow. The kicks were slow. Honestly, the crowd was quiet because they were like, is this all it's going to be? Is it just going to be a stunner in a, in a bit? Once they got into the crowd, that's when the energy went up. And I think maybe Stone Cold kind of had to take a bump to realize, okay, I'm fine. And his energy picked up and that turned into a whole thing. I did not expect that entire thing. So it that's um not a surprise, like a surprise debut, but in terms of something that happened in a way that I didn't expect, uh, probably the length of the Austin Owens match. Interesting. I went just period with Austin McMahon. I mean, yeah, that, see, that whole thing been. was shocking. Yeah. I never expected that. You know, we knew Austin was going to do something with KO. We did not know that this was happening with McMahon. So that's as far as I'm concerned. And then lastly, before we get out of here, you know, WrestleMania 39 is in Hollywood. Um, I do think there's a very good chance, of course, that we get a ton more celebrity matches. It wouldn't be surprising if th- this is now what WWE does going forward because they do view it as a spectacle. They view it as different than their other normal wrestling cards. If every WrestleMania was like this one, would you be okay with it? Or do you think it would get played out? I- I'll give you my answer first because I, yeah. I knew I was going to ask the question and I know I'm springing it on you. My answer is that throwing in a couple celebrity matches is okay. I think one per night is my limit. You don't need whatever, you know, three in total or four. But the abundance of nostalgia, like you're not going to get Stone Cold Steve Austin every year. And even if they get The Rock next year, they're not going to have him for two nights. He's going to wrestle one match. He's not going to make appearances on both nights and do a bunch of shit and all that type of stuff. So I don't. you can't rely on like, Triple H coming out for a pop and the undertaker when he, you know, he's not going to come back and get inducted into the hall of fame again. Austin's not going to come out in Hollywood and do two segments. So I think if you removed all of that stuff, you're looking at this card a little bit differently, how it all played out. Maybe we're grading it a little bit differently. So I'm okay with the celebrity stuff, but WWE, if they did this exact same show, but built some of those low card matches better and made them meaningful, if they put, Finn Balor versus Damian Priest on night one and Balor beat Priest. And then when Priest showed up on night two, you knew why, because he failed against Balor and he needed to, you know, create a change and, and go with edge and try something different. It would give more meaning to something like that. Put Ricochet, one of your most exciting wrestlers on the card, create a storyline for New Day, one of your best acts where you're really excited to see them. And obviously when you see them, don't cut the match from one night and give it a minute, 45 seconds on another night. 
some of these may be considered nitpicks, but the build for WrestleMania next year, and I think it will be because it's Hollywood, but the build needs to be a lot stronger with a stronger build and one more really damn good match. This could have been an A or an A plus WrestleMania. Instead, for me, again, I know you're an A and the listeners are an A minus with me. Uh, or sorry, we're, well, I was we're all A minus. We're all A minus. But but we, I think we all would have graded it a little bit higher if a couple more of those elements were in place. Yeah, no, I, I mean, when you ask, you know, can WWE do it like this again, or if they do it like this moving forward, it's it's almost like two. There's just two separate parts. If you're talking two and a half slash three celebrity matches out of 14, 15 ish matches. Yeah, I think that's a good balance. I think that's a good balance between the two. You want to have some stuff like that. You don't want to have too much. You know, we thought coming in, hey, is there too much celebrity stuff going on? In the end, that was some of the most entertaining slash crowd reaction stuff of the whole weekend, whether the, the Logan Paul, the Pat McAfee, and the Johnny Knoxville. That was some of the most popular stuff in the stadium that went on. But you don't want to do too much of it, obviously. So, so that's a big part of it. The other part is, you're not going to get Austin every year, especially twice every year. You're not going to have Triple H retiring. You're not going to have Undertaker in the Hall of Fame. You're not going to have Vince McMahon deciding to do a match. A lot of these felt like one-time things. And honestly, thinking about it now, in this WrestleMania, we, we got the end of Triple H, the end of The Undertaker, the last match for Stone Cold Steve Austin, potentially. A Vince McMahon match. Better be the last match for Vince McMahon. Perhaps the last match ever for Vince McMahon. You know, as someone who was a child of the Attitude Era, that is an entire dream come true over two nights. And you think back to something that Undertaker's mentioned, which was the end of an era match with Triple H. The way I think about it, I think this was the end of an era. This was the final last hurrah for the Attitude Era as a way to go out with WrestleMania Dallas the way they did. Because I don't think you're going to see much of any of this ever again. And so I think that's what, that makes this WrestleMania a lot more unique and not something you can duplicate every year. Because next year, yeah, you, maybe you have The Rock. But you're going to have to build a lot more uh, around it, I think. Yeah, and the goal should not be to duplicate this. It should be to create something in between what this was and a more solid wrestling-heavy show. If they can thread that needle and use like some of the elements that they learned from this with some of the elements that made night one better than night two, and they combine those, then I think WWE does have an opportunity to really strike really well uh, with WrestleMania. The other thing I'll say really quick, we're going to get out of here right now, but raw after WrestleMania, I have absolutely no idea what is going to happen with anything. We don't know what's going to happen with Roman Reigns is, are they really going to run back Lesnar again? I don't think they're going to. Does a new challenger immediately step up? Is Reigns even on the show? I presume he will be, given he's now the undisputed. Yeah. Ch- he's going to be the undisputed champion. We have the edge stuff to look forward to. Um, potential call-ups. Tons of storylines. That Co- Cody's Cody's got a promo coming. Co- Cody has a promo coming on Raw. Uh, you know, so, uh, Raw after WrestleMania should pop a massive rating. And by the way, the Go Home Show nearly hit two million. It had its like best rating since I think September and second best rating since last year. So there's actually momentum behind WWE. And we say this all the time coming out of really exciting, really good pay-per-views. If they can keep the momentum and book their TV shows well, then who the hell knows? Like the sky's potentially the limit. If they can use this as a jumping off point 
But, you know, WrestleMania Backlash, it is one of those shows where it's like a bunch of rematches are coming up. So, look, that's not that far off. It's May 8th, I believe. Um, So just about four and a half, five weeks, whatever it is away. Plenty to talk about. Uh, Still in the world of WWE, Chris. And we are going to do all of that on Tuesday with our next episode where we will cover the Raw after WrestleMania and the WWE Hall of Fame induction ceremony from Friday, which we have not yet discussed on this podcast. A reminder, already in our podcast feed, our instant analysis episodes from NXT Stand and Deliver and WWE WrestleMania 38 night one. So if you listen to this one first, be sure to listen to both of those as well. Like I said, we will be back Tuesday with that WWE episode on Thursday. We will talk all things NXT and AEW. One more reminder before we get out of here, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If I leave a five-star rating on Apple, also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this show. The ratings and reviews are so important. I appreciate all of you who are already subscribers and already listeners to this podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It is where we drop every episode where you can vote in the polls I mentioned. You can join live shows on Twitter spaces and you can interact with us. I know a lot of you sent in DMs and tweets with questions and comments. We will get to all of those on Tuesday's show. This was going to be too long tonight to get into those right now. So I appreciate your patience on that. Chris, it was a great WrestleMania weekend. A lot of fun to do all of these shows with you. I certainly hope you had a great time in Dallas. Anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah, this, I mean, this was just, this one of the, one of the most fun weekends of my life, if, if I'm being honest. It, it, it's a mix, it was a mix of work and a mix of just uh, play, essentially, be, being a fan there, covering the WWE Trap, meeting Triple H and stuff like that. But then WrestleMania was a great show. Anybody who has not done a WrestleMania weekend, highly, highly recommend you do one one of these times. And not just the WrestleMania part. Uh, there are obviously all sorts of indie shows going on. I went to WrestleCon. I went to the, the Zicky Dice show at WrestleCon. And early highlight of the week, I, I don't think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned on this pod, but the main event of that show was Rich Swan versus Scotty Tuhati. And we got Scotty Tuhati doing the worm to get the win. Uh, just, just really just WrestleMania weekends are just such a huge event. I've done two of them. This one was where I live. And so it was easier in some ways to do some. But if you've never done one of these weekends, highly recommend you try do it one time, make a big trip out of it, hit, hit WrestleMania, hit stuff outside of WWE, all this other stuff going on. A lot of people put a lot of work into all these events. A lot of people uh, make a lot of money in this weekend that pays for the rest of the year and stuff like that. So support uh, wrestling in all its forms over WrestleMania weekend. And yeah, this is just simply a weekend that uh, I'm never going to forget. That's awesome. It's great that you had such a good time. And I, I concur with that. There was a, I went, I had a streak of five WrestleManias in about six years. And same with me, a mix of work and fun going to the WWE shows, indie shows, some special access. You know, we're both lucky that we work in sports media. So we do get some connections here and there. Um, but it is really a can't miss experience. If you can afford it, uh, if you want to save some money up, you know, pick the right one. WrestleMania 40, if you can't go to 39, that's probably going to be a spectacle. I have no idea where they're going to hold that. It's going to be really interesting given it is one of those special numerical WrestleManias being the 40th one. Uh, but I seriously suggest giving it an opportunity as well. It is an absolute blast. And the best thing that people really don't talk about 
when it comes to WrestleMania weekend and being on site is all that animosity between wrestling fans that you see online, it's gone. It doesn't yes. exist. Yes. Every yes. single person, it's like you're, and I've never been to a Comic Con or any one of those conventions, but it's what I imagine they're like. Everyone's dressed up. Everyone's having a great time. They're talking about matches, who they want to win. Um, everyone is just having an absolute blast. And you get a little inkling of that um, if you're at home and you're not really following all these shows. The, the WrestleMania kickoff shows, all those kids and all the people that flew in from other countries that they're interviewing that are so just geeked to be there. Imagine that times like 100,000 people from all walks of life, all races and genders. WrestleMania weekend, it truly is unlike anything else in sports. I've been to Super Bowl weekends. I've been to National Championship weekends. Uh, I'm literally Monday morning. I'm waking up not many hours after we did this podcast. I'm driving to the Masters. All of these things are awesome, and we're very lucky that we're able to do a lot of them. But there is something very special about wrestling and WrestleMania weekend. And like Chris said, I hope you all get to enjoy it at some part, point in your life, if you have not. That is it for today's show for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein reminding you to listen to all those instant analysis and be back with us on Tuesday for the WWE episode. But at this point, I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.